Welcome, Calvary Quakertown. It's good to have you folks join us this morning. Well, today is our last installment in our Fruitology series. Some of you may be sad as we leave the series. Others of you may be rejoicing. The purpose of the series was to explore a little bit about the characteristics of maturity, which are really just aspects of Christ-likeness. But more than explore, the purpose of the series was to cultivate those aspects and those characteristics in our lives. And so we've been building the series from two verses and toward the end of the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians. So here are our two verses. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And as I mentioned last week, today is your final quiz morning. I hope you don't you know, forget the two verses forever. I hope you read them and think about them once in a while. But here we go with our final installment of our Fruit of the Spirit quiz in Fruitology. Are you ready? Let's say them together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. Very good. You're getting better. You kind of fade out at the end all the time. Yeah, so, so maybe if you memorize verse 23 and then add 22 to it, you'll get it. Well, anyway, well done. And again, they're not just ideas or words to be tucked into your head in some way. They're aspects of Christ-likeness that we need to be living out and bearing that harvest in our lives. As you read through the New Testament, you discover that the same message comes through over and over again, but in different metaphors. So I thought I would do a little review of a couple of the key ideas about the fruit of the Spirit by looking at one of the other pictures that has the same message. So in the letter to the Colossians, Paul writes the same basic idea. And he's telling them that, you know, you live in a world where naturally you produce stuff. But as a follower of Jesus, you will supernaturally be producing something else. But he uses a completely different picture. It's not about fruit. It's not about the default mode of weeds that are growing and then the spirit mode of fruit. Let me read the verses and see if you can guess the picture here. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has, has, has a grievance against someone. Forgive as God forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Different picture. This is a picture of clothing. And right before this section it says, clothe yourselves, put on, there's a put off section where Paul says, now take off these things and put on these things. Same message, different metaphor. So let me remind you of a couple of things that I've said repeatedly through the series before we get to our um, aspect this morning of faithfulness. We talked about the default mode, which is the things that we naturally produce. If we do nothing, these things will naturally be produced. In the picture from Colossians 3 would be like this. As you go through life and live in the world, your clothes get dirty and pretty soon they start to stink. So what do you do when your clothes are dirty and stink? Uh, let me remind you. You take them off and you wash them and you bathe and then you put on clean clothing. 
So the default mode is soiled. The default mode is wearing things that are not good for other people, offensive to other people. But we need to be taking off those things actively and putting on other things. I was thinking of different pictures of default mode. And maybe the worst of them is. You ever have the battery in your car go dead? Or you go to a, or you go to a mechanic and he, he's not real bright and he just disconnects your battery without hooking up the little thing? All of your settings are now gone, right? It takes you six months to get the radio stations back to the ones you wanted. Yeah, well, if we go through life normally, you kind of have your battery disconnected and you produce all of that static. Well, what we need to do, we need to make sure the cables of our heart are connected to the spirit and the gospel so that the stations we play are the stations of the gospel like love, joy, peace, forbearance, things like that. So the default mode, it happens naturally. If we do nothing, we will produce the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. We need to be laboring and working with, cooperating with the Spirit to produce the fruit or to wear the clothing that honors Jesus. The second one of those things is, the clothing comes as a set. We've said with the fruit, it's not fruits of the Spirit, it's singular fruit, different aspects of a whole. Now, this one stings a little bit because, uh, ladies, let me remind you, men do not wear outfits, all right? So if you think your husband should wear it, men don't wear outfits. We have pants and shirts and shoes, and you can wear them in any and any and every combination you choose, right? It doesn't matter. And if you got wrong combinations, don't buy that color, right? We should be able to wear whatever items of clothing in any combination that we want. But the point of Colossians 3 is we need to put on clothing that matches. You need to put on an outfit. So the fruit of the Spirit is singular. And the clothing that we wear needs to fit. We don't want to wear filthy, soiled pants and a clean shirt. It comes as an outfit. All the elements come together. Let me see if I explain it like this. Um, I had a board meeting this past week, and uh, I I was assigned to do devotions at the board meeting. I I guess I'm like the professional devotioner. I don't know. So I get to do devotions. And so here's what I said. I won't repeat it all for you. Here's what I said in a nutshell. We need to be both end in an either-or world. Do you know that personality-wise... You're wired to be either or. And our culture pushes us to be either or. Either conservative or liberal. Either Republican or Democrat. Either management or labor. Either union or open shop. It's always either or, right? But here's the interesting thing. When it comes to spiritual maturity, when it comes to wisdom, it's almost always both end Never either or. So let me give you a couple of examples from the Bible. Here's one. The gospel is all about word and deed. Why do we emphasize doing as well as saying? Because the gospel is a doing and saying kind of thing. And you don't have to know too much about church history or a lot about churches and denominations to look around, and you will discover that some churches and some denominations move toward one end of that continuum. And some groups become kind of word-only groups, right? And they're speaking and judging and condemning, and, and they don't have a whole lot of the doing part. They got a lot of the speaking part. And then you go to other churches, other, and they're all about the doing, right? 
but there's not a lot of the word part. And so people scratch their heads and wonder why they're doing all this stuff. They got to be married together, kind of word and deed. In the business world, or in any world, it's results and people, right? It's not results or people. Do the best leaders get results? Yes. Do the best leaders care for people? Yes. It can't be an either or. And my guess is some of you work for results-oriented tyrants and they tick you off, right? And others of you work for empathetic, kind leaders and before you know it, your business is going out of business, right? And it's not either or, it's got to be both ends. And when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit or the garments of the gospel, it's not an either-or list. Did you notice when I read through the list, whether it's in Colossians 3 or in um, Galatians 5, there are some soft fruit. Peace, patience, kindness. And all of you empathetic soft types love those fruit, right? You say, oh, thank you, Jesus. But then there are also hard fruit, faithfulness, Patience, courage. And you look at those, ooh, I don't know about that. You hurt somebody's feelings. Now you, you know, hard people, you look at, that's right. The, well, remember what the Jonathan Edwards quote I started the series with? Here's what Jonathan Edwards said very wisely. We are only as mature as the weakest of our fruit. Those of us that are, well, not us, those of you that are soft types, kind of, you know, the peace, kindness kind of people, um, you are only as mature as the hard fruit is manifesting itself in you. And those of you that are kind of the hard types, you're only as mature as the soft stuff is being produced in you. If you're only producing what comes because of your temperament, you're just living out your Myers-Briggsness. That has nothing to do with your spiritual maturity. Your spiritual maturity to spiritual maturity is supernaturally God bringing to bear the fruit that don't come naturally to you. The garments come as a set. The fruit come as a singular harvest. You can't pick and choose the ones you want to bear and forget the other ones. They all must come together. Default mode as a package. Two reminders we need to keep in mind. Well, our uh, fruit topic that we're looking at this morning is faithfulness. Faithfulness. And we kind of did this at the end because I thought this was probably the best way to wrap up the series. Now, here's the problem when it comes to faithfulness. The biggest problem that we have when it comes to faithfulness, understanding it and living it out, is that we live in a faithless context and culture. Isn't that right? So let me give you a few examples. You ever watch a commercial advertising a product, and then you buy that product? And you're a little disappointed in the results that you get when you compare it with the results that the happy people in the commercial got. Right? Like you taste that cereal and say, this is disgusting. But the people in the commercial love that cereal, right? They're all smiling and laughing and you spit it out in the trash. Um, do you really think that if you buy that pan, nothing ever will stick to it? I, I think something may stick. Or how about this one? Do you really think that pillow will change your life? Like you get a promote, you wake up happy every morning looking in the mirror and that guy look back at you? Do you really think your cookies will make all of your guests and yourself smile when they eat it? Or how about this? If you get on that bike and you do all those miles, your butt and your abs will look like that next week? <laughs> oh, we live in a faith, faithless context, don't we? We live in a context where people 
Tell us by the mile, but deliver by the inch. Why do you think there are so many lawyers in America? Well, I'll tell you why. Because we live in a faithless context. The proliferation of lawyers is a symptom, not the problem. It's a symptom that people don't shoot straight and tell the truth. And so people promise but don't deliver and say, well, sue me then. And so in a faithless context, that's the problem we have. It's people, it's commercials, it's bosses, it's employees, all across the board. We no longer keep our word. We don't say what we mean. We don't mean what we say. We don't follow through with what we say. We live in a faithless context. And here's the bigger problem. We then take that faithless context that we're used to. We then begin to live out and emulate that faithless demeanor. And then we extrapolate faithlessness onto God. And when God doesn't deliver what we want when we want, we're ready to condemn. We're ready to turn back. We're ready to say, well, look, God's not giving me what I want. Why in the world should I follow him? We live in a faithless context. We then live faithlessly and begin to look at God as a faithless God. But that needs some revision, don't you think? So here's what we need to remind ourselves this morning when we think about faithfulness as a characteristic that we need to bear. We have an incredibly, perfectly faithful father. God promises and God delivers. God's a promise maker and a promise keeper. What God says, God will do. Now, don't misunderstand. He may not do and deliver in your time frame. I read a really interesting quote this week that's been bugging me all week since I read it. So I'm going to have it bug you. It said something like this. Do you enjoy the waiting room? So I was thinking about that. I hate the waiting room. I hate any waiting room. I hate when you show up at the doctor's office and they tell you to have a seat. Yeah, but you told me to be here at 2. Well, it's now 2. Well, you told me to be here at 2. Yeah, but the doctor's not ready. But you told me to be here at 2. I remember it. True story. When uh, Kim was pregnant with Ashley, right, our first daughter, um, we always would go to the doctor for a monthly visit and all this. And... Uh, it was always incredibly late. Like we'd sit there an hour. So on the fourth visit, I gave the doctor a bill for my time. <laughs> Having wait, she, she was not amused, by the way. Um, but I don't like to wait. So you go to the dentist, you wait. You go to the doctor's office, you wait. You go to get your eyes examined, you wait. Um, waiting, wait. I hate to wait. Yeah, but some waiting rooms are even worse than that, right? Suppose you get a phone call that one of your kids was rushed to the emergency room and you get to the emergency room and you're in the waiting room and you don't know what the doctor's going to say when he comes out. I hate the waiting room. I hate because I feel like I'm wasting time. I hate because I'm not quite sure what the outcome's going to be. I hate the waiting room. But then the quote said this. But the waiting rooms are really God's greenhouses in our lives. It's often in the waiting room that we do our best growing, isn't it? How are we going to learn patience if you're never in a situation where you wish things would hurry up according to your schedule? How are you going to learn faithfulness if everything happens according to your plan? You see, it's often in the waiting room that we learn where we grow, we develop, and we wind up producing fruit a whole lot better than if we were never in the waiting room. So maybe the next time you have to wait, whether it's in traffic or whether it's for a doctor or whether it's for the service to begin or whether it's for your wife or whether it's for your husband or kids, 
Maybe it would be a good time to say, yeah, but remember, waiting rooms are God's best greenhouses. Living rooms of growth. That's what God wants to do. God's a faithful father. Um, well, I was trying to think of a bunch of passages. And literally, I had like dozens of them written on a piece of paper. What passage can we look at that kind of points out God's faithfulness? And I figured, ah, heck with the passage. Let me remind you of the big story, right? Because the story of the Bible is actually the narrative of God's faithfulness, isn't it? So let me just walk you through the big acts again, say a word or two about it, and then I'm going to help you understand how we can live more faithfully. Here are the six acts. God creates all that exists. God speaks and all the stuff comes into being. And here's the amazing part. As the pinnacle of God's creation, he made us. No other part of creation is made in God's image and God's likeness. God creates us in his image. Now part of the reason he makes us in his image, he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to have fellowship and a relationship with us the way he's had Father, Son, and Spirit through all eternity past. He wants us to join that relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, and be in that. That's incredible, right? God creates and he wants us to be part of that creation, enjoying who he is and benefiting from who he is, loving him and being loved by him. Yeah, but that act doesn't last too long before you get to God is rejected. Human beings say, yeah, but we don't like that plan. We're going to do it our way. And that happens in the third chapter of the book, right? you got Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, God's rejected. And every once in a while I hear people say, I just can't believe it. God creates Adam and Eve, puts them in the garden, and gives them all these benefits, and then they don't do what he says? Huh. Isn't that your story? God gives you all these benefits. God gives you all his grace. God tells you how to live, and you don't do it either, right? I mean, the amazing thing to me is not that they did it. The amazing thing is we keep doing it. We do the same thing. God is rejected. Now let me just show you. From the God is rejected act all the way to the end, the rest of that is because of God's grace and faithfulness. God could have ended the whole show right there. God, is, God creates, wants human beings to be in a relationship with him. They rejected him, the end. But there are a lot of other chapters that come because God's faithful to his mission and faithful and loving and gracious to us. And so he says, Sin and death won't be the last chapter of this book. My original intention will come to completion and he's going to have to do it. So what does he do? He then makes promise after promise after promise. And all of these promises, and you know for most of them in the Old Testament, the majority of them don't get fulfilled until you get to the New Testament. I mean most of the people in the Old Testament, they live in God's waiting room for centuries. And they, keep, they wonder if God's faithful, right? Is God going to come through? He made these promises, hasn't showed up yet. They take matters into their own hands. They decide they're going to do it their own way. God promises and promises and promises. And then we celebrate on Christmas, Act 4, where God appears. God shows up. And he says, you know what? If these promises are going to be fulfilled, I have to do them. I can't depend on you guys to bring them about. I've got to do it. And so God shows up and he takes our place and pays our debt. He's born and lives the life we should have lived. He dies the death we deserve to die. And then gives us all of the benefits from all of that. And then amazingly, he includes us in the story. And says, now I want you to continue what I started. And he sends us out to keep going what he got going. That's the act we're in now. That's why we say, invite 
That's why we say love people. That's why we say we're in mission, build relationships, be transformed and be in that process. We're just continuing what Jesus started. He's the engine driving all of that, but we get the privilege of continuing what he started. And one day, he promises he'll close the curtain and he will take home all of those that follow him forever and ever. And it won't be a boring church service for eternity. It's going to be a celebration where our gifts and our abilities get used to maximum without all of the taint of sin forever and ever. That's the st- and that story could have God is faithful written over top of it. So when we talk about any part of the Bible, it fits into the big narrative that God is faithful. God promises, God appears, God sends, and God will one day restore. And between the sending and the restoring part, we get to invite as many people as possible to enjoy that transformation and that restoration. You know, one of the most uh, amazing promises that I was thinking about this past week in thinking about the whole fruit thing from Galatians 5 is this promise that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. You all look like construction sites right now. I just hate to tell you, right? Like a muddy hole with not a whole lot going on, not very sanitary. But a construction site means that something's being built. You may not, and I certainly am not, producing the harvest yet in full of love, joy, peace, patience. We're not producing that. But make no mistake, what God starts, he'll finish. And we live in the already not yet tension of the gospel. Where already we should be producing some of that fruit. If you're not producing any of that fruit, love, joy, that's not a good sign. You need to get connected to Jesus. But if you are beginning to produce it, but you're a little frustrated and you get ticked off at times because you're not producing more of it, that's a good sign. Already we're producing some, but not yet. How are we experiencing the full harvest? We're in process. But in the midst of that, remember our faithful God? He'll finish what he started. And hopefully you have the beginnings of that start. Rejoice in the hope that he'll bring you the full harvest as he brings restoration to the world. That's kind of our faithful God in the midst of our faithless culture. I want to end by talking about how we can be faithful followers. So if we live in a faithful context, a faithless culture, but we've got a faithful father, a faithful God, a faithful Savior, how can we bear the mark of faithfulness rather than faithlessness? Well, if you have your Bibles... Turn to Luke 5, and again, I wanted to choose a real familiar passage so we don't have to work with a lot of the details. Um, I'll kind of read through it, and I'm just going to kind of play with some of the big ideas that come from it. Luke chapter 5, and I'll read, say, the first 11 verses. And as I'm reading through, I want you to think about faithfulness. And you may say, this isn't a story of faithfulness, this is a story of reluctance. Yeah, just like us. Reluctant, but faithful. How's that work? A very familiar passage. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, that's Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. 
Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water, let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up to shore, left everything, and followed him. What does it take to be a faithful follower? Well, faithfulness starts with faith. And then you may say, well, I don't see much faith in her. Yeah, but there's enough faith to get it started. Faithfulness always starts with faith. In fact, if you use an older translation of the Bible, like some of you may still read, you know, the King James. If you read an old translation, you'll notice in the list of the fruit, it doesn't say faithfulness, it says faith. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, blah, blah, blah. Faith. Well, it does say faith. So if you were to go back to the original, it's the word for faith. It's not the faithful, it's faith. Well, they kind of made it, later translations, kind of make it faithful so the word matches the others as characteristics of things that we produce. And so they, they're probably wrestling with, well, wait a minute. I kind of have to have faith in order to get in. So it, this is faithful. It's not really faith. So which is it? I would say it's not either or, it's both and. Faithfulness always starts with faith, doesn't it? If Peter had no faith at all, he wouldn't have said, Master, I fish all night. You don't, you're a carpenter, I'm a fisherman, right? You, you don't get this. But, Master, if you want me to go fishing, I'll go fishing. There's enough faith for Peter to actually follow through and do what Jesus said. Peter is not absent of faith. It's a reluctant faith. It's a baby faith. It's a seed of faith. But there's enough faith there in order for it to happen. So let me ask you. How much faith do you have and where is your faith placed? Peter didn't have much. But the point is not how much he had. The point is where he put it. Will you follow through and be faithful in your marriage if you don't have faith that your marriage is worth it? Will you be faithful in a friendship if you don't believe your friend is worth it? Will you, have, will you be unfaithful and throw the towel in after one eagle's loss last week? No, if they lose tonight, they you throw in the towel, right? Because I think it's, oh, sorry, sorry. We're talking about faithfulness. <laughs> you see, faith starts, or faithfulness starts with faith. And so here's Peter. He doesn't have a whole lot of faith. And Jesus says something that is absolutely ridiculous to him, right? He says, wait, wait, Jesus, you don't understand. You don't fish at night or you don't fish in the day. But you know what, Master? If you want to go fishing, let's go fishing. Faithfulness starts 
It's faith. And here's the harder step, maybe. Faithfulness shows itself in obedience. So if you don't obey, you're not living out your faith. If you don't obey, you're not being faithful. Faithfulness begins with faith, but faithfulness manifests itself in obedience. Peter didn't want to go fishing. He thought it was a stupid idea. But you know what's amazing to me? Peter doesn't argue with Jesus. He doesn't give him 25 reasons as to why he shouldn't go fishing. He doesn't take out a tablet paper and say, look, now let's put a yes, go fishing and no, go fishing on a piece of paper. And let's, let's all the reasons why we should go fishing, why we shouldn't go fishing. And at the end, if there are more reasons to go, he doesn't do all that. He thinks it's a dumb idea. But he says, master, if you want to go fishing, I'll go fishing. And reluctantly, Peter turns the boat around toward the deep water, rows out a little bit, throws over the nets, never expecting a fish until the net almost pulled him overboard with all the fish that were in it. Faithfulness starts with faith. Faithfulness shows itself in obedience. And let me uh, remind you of a couple of things about obedience. Obedience does not mean you do what Jesus says when it makes sense to you. Agreement is not obedience, right? Remember when you had to give 45 answers to the why question before your kids would do what you told them to do? That's not obedience. That's trying to be convinced. If you are always convinced, that's not obedience. You're just doing what seems right to you. It doesn't seem right for Peter to go fishing. Let me tell you, if the king of the universe, who's a whole lot smarter than we are, asks us to do something, you shouldn't expect it's going to make sense to you. We're stupid. It's it's not going to make sense very often. Obedience is you do what he says even when it doesn't make sense. You don't spend a long time, you know, reasoning and arguing. You don't draw lots of lines on the paper. Yeah, we need to figure out what Jesus is calling us to do. But once we figure out what he's calling us to do, you do it. Faithfulness starts with faith. Faithfulness shows itself in obedience. We live in a faithless culture, don't we? We've got an incredibly faithful father, a faithful God, a faithful Savior. Are we going to be faithful followers? That's the only question left open. We live in a faithless culture. We have a faithful God, a faithful Father, a faithful Savior. Those things are true. The only question left open, are we going to be faithful followers or not? Begins with faith. Shows itself in obedience. So let me give you a a couple of ways that we can begin with faith, show in obedience our faithfulness. Here's a good one. How about between now and Christmas Day, you carve out a few minutes every other day, every day, sometime between there. And you pick up a Bible, right, or go to version on your phone or on your tablet. And why not read what the Bible says about Christmas? Two easy places to find it. Matthew chapters 1 and 2. Luke chapters 1 and 2. Four chapters. Don't you think sometime between now and like the 25th, you could read four chapters? After all, we're going to celebrate Christmas 
My guess is if you haven't already, you're going to spend hours shopping, looking online, writing cards, opening cards. Don't you think it would take you know, a little bit of time and kind of read what real Christmas is? Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1 and 2? That, that would be one way to show your faith and your obedience. Oh, here's another one that follows on that. While you're reading, why not pray? Pray that you'd experience Christmas this year. You know, the real meaning of Christmas, maybe as never before. Maybe you'd pray for some people that are going to show up at our services that don't normally show up for a service. Maybe you'll pray for a breakfast bowl. You know, if you just begin praying and say, Lord, you know, show me some things I should pray for. You know, he'll, he'll show you some things and pray. Oh, yeah, as long as we're talking about um, things that maybe you could do. You could sign up to serve at one of the services. That would be a good thing. You say, Charles, that's not in the Bible. I know it's not in the Bible. But putting your gifts into play and, you know, sacrificing for other people, that is in the Bible. And maybe you really shouldn't sign up, but it's hard for me to believe why you wouldn't. Will you sign up to serve at one? You could do that before you leave. And when you get that email invite this week, that evite, why don't you forward that to some people and pick up some cards and invite some people to come with you? That's kind of a low-pressure way to be a audacious isn't it kind of invite people to come with you the amazing thing is people are kind of waiting for an invitation and all the statistics and stories tell us if people are invited to church they'll actually go I mean we believe the lie that they won't but they'll actually go and bring five. Oh yeah maybe uh between now and Christmas think of some ways to uh live the real meaning of Christmas so rather than figuring how you can spend every dollar and every minute on your pleasure and your desires, think about how to put some of those dollars and some of those minutes into play for the benefit of somebody else. After all, isn't that the Christmas story? Jesus put into play his time, his life so that we can experience forgiveness and acceptance and love and grace and mercy and an eternity with him. There are just a couple ways. Faithfulness starts with faith. Peter didn't have a lot of it, so that's no excuse. You may not have much. I don't have much very often. Whatever you got, put it into Jesus. It's the object, not the amount of faith that makes a difference. And remember, Faithfulness will show itself in obedience. Fruit of the Spirit. Any one of the fruit kind of can encapsulate all the others. Faithfulness easily does that. We get to stand against a faithless culture by putting our trust and faith in a faithful God and then faithfully following and continuing what Jesus did for us. Let's stand and pray. Our Father, we give you thanks that you are faithful. You've never made a promise that hasn't been completed or fulfilled or will not be. Forgive us for being impatient, for taking matters into our own hands, for repeating all those dark chapters of the Bible. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to take our little, meager, flawed faith Take that faith and put it into our faithful Savior who gave himself for us. And as we plant the seeds of our flawed faith 
may you produce a harvest of faithfulness in us as you demonstrate your trustworthiness and as our faith grows and as our obedience to you increases. Thanks for that privilege. May we live out that relationship in a faithless world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.